Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. A couple of things happened this week that were the inspiration for this message um, today. And I've simply entitled it A Lesson from the Little Ones. Lessons from the Little Ones. Uh, have you ever had something just come to your attention that you you knew you knew it was there you knew it was a part of what was going on but you didn't realize what an important role that it played in your life um, that's kind of that's kind of what I've been formulating in my mind and trying to put it together so that I convey it well today uh, first thing there's that happened this week was um, Wednesday night in the Wednesday night class. You know, we we have children's classes on Wednesday nights and youth classes on Wednesday nights, and then we have Sunday school services on Sunday and youth classes on Sunday. So our, our children are very, very busy. And this last Wednesday night after church, I was presented this little, this little simple plaque from the kids um, and uh, they all took part in it, or most of them, those that could at least speak. And I want to read it to you. It's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it starts off uh, all about Brother Rice. And uh, so the very first comment was by Silas Anglin. It says, he is Brother Rice. <laughs> How very astute. <laughs> And he is 55 years old. That was from Bennett Jones. Uh, thank you, Bennett, for cutting a year off my age. I'm actually 56, but I'll take 55. He is our pastor, said Torn Pacheco. He preaches and he gives us badges, says Anna. The badges she's talking about are these little, these little pins like you see on Brother Christian's jacket right here. Uh, she gets about one a week from me. Oh, I lost the other one. Well, I always make sure she has another one so that she can have one of our little badges that, that she wants. He preaches and he gives us badges. I shared my toys with him, said Chalem. Uh, we're going to have fun after church today playing with Chalem's toys. He sings. Yes, he said. He sings. He didn't say he sings well, just that he sings. <laughs> Aren't you glad that the Word of God says make a joyful noise? <laughs> I have to say that you have to sing on key. You just got to be happy. You may be singing off key, but as long as you're happy, the Lord's happy. He sings. Quinn says he's nice, and that just kind of melted my heart. And he takes care of Chalem and Jonathan, Jonathan sometimes, said Blakely. <laughs> I guess I've been recruited as a babysitter. Garrett Dorff said he preaches, and Blaine says he takes care of us when we have problems. Huntley says, and he has brown hair. <laughs> Not much of it, but it is brown, dark brown. Easton said, he is my bald grandpa. <laughs> You and me going to have a talk later, buddy. Yeah. I'm going to shove him in the pool next time he comes over. 
He is my, I know I'm bald headed now. I know. I just, he is my bald grandpa. <laughs> Everett Dorf said his full name is Douglas Rice. And Bennett Dorf said, and he always wears cowboy boots. You know what? If I didn't wear cowboy boots one time, I think the walls would fall in on this place. I'm not sure what would happen. And then they finish it up by saying, we love you, Brother Rice. Thank you, guys. <laughs> now, I know that wasn't a text message. I mean, that wasn't a, a text. That wasn't a, I didn't read out of uh, the Bible. That, that, that was kind of, I'm kind of using that to kind of get started, but but it got me to thinking, I, I've, this has sat in my office for several days now, and I've read it multiple times, and just each time I read it, it, it means something to me, and it, I plan on keeping this um, for the rest of my life, if possible, I plan on keeping this little treasure that, that was brought to me as a reminder that the children are watching me, the children are watching you. You see, some of these things on here, I don't know if they were coached or not, but uh, I imagine that they didn't have to be coached too much. But it lets me know that they notice things about us as adults. And it got me to thinking of how important it is for us to lead our children in a proper and right direction. They're, they're, they're not learning just by what we say, but they're learning by what we do. If they're going to worship, they're going to worship based upon how they see us worship. If they're going to love God, they're going to look at mom and dad and brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and they're going to find somebody that they can connect to, and they're going to find somebody that they can admire, and they're going to find somebody that they can trust and have confidence in that loves the Lord. And I want our children to know and understand that they are very, very important to this church. Yesterday, I sat at the funeral of a man who just a few months away from his 100th birthday, his name was Mr. Barber. And, um, well, as a song was playing at that funeral yesterday, I closed my eyes because I was quite honestly, trying to hold back tears. I was not very successful at, at it. I think it just made them creep out just a little bit better, and I mean a little bit more as they ran down my cheek. And, and I was kind of surprised at how I was feeling at that funeral. Let me kind of explain to you what I'm talking about. My, my mind went back to a lot of memories of my childhood days. See, because Mr. Barber, grew, uh, I grew up right across the street from Mr. Barber, Mr. and Mrs. Barber, Bob and Dorothy. We called them Mr. and Mrs. Barber. And uh, for as long as I can remember, the entire time that I lived on the road that we grew up on, they were our neighbors. They lived across the streets. And I, I had my eyes closed, and I began to think back to all the wrestling matches that, that took place. And we call them wrestling, wrestling matches pretty affectionately. I mean, we're a pretty loose term with that. I grew up in a neighborhood full of rough and tumble boys, and sometimes they started out to be wrestling matches and turned into other things, downright all-out uh, brawls, you know, before it was over with. And But Mr. Barber had the, the nicest lawn in the neighborhood. All of his children were raised. They were gone. I, as a matter of fact, I sat in that room yesterday, and he, he, had, he had 
children. He had grandchildren. He had great-grandchildren. He had great-great-grandchildren, and he even had great-great-great-grandchildren there yesterday. And I looked around the room, and I didn't know any of them. Because long before I was ever old enough to have a memory, they had all moved out, moved away. They were all gone. All only people I knew from that family was Mr. and Mrs. Barber. And so I, I thought back to those days of wrestling out in his yard, and I thought back to the different things that involved that house and, and that family with the rest of the neighborhood that we kind of grew up in. And I thought about the day when, when we were in our yard and we were playing some ball and just uh, trying to, somebody was pitching the ball and somebody was hitting it. Then we had two or three guys across the street trying to catch the ball, and somebody got a hold of a ball uh, just a little bit too much, and, and they had this massive picture window in the front of their house, and I watched, and my stomach sank as, as I watched that baseball fly over the road and, and take a bounce in that yard, and I thought, oh, it's going to take out that picture window, and I thought, should we run and hide? Should we, you know, what are we going to do here when that window breaks? And fortunately for us, it hit the ground. They had some bushes in front of that big picture window, and that ball hit the, the ground and bounced up, and the bushes caught it, and we very sheepishly ran over there and grabbed that baseball and ran out of the yard, and that was the, the end of it for baseball for that day. We all took a big sigh of relief that we had not broken the big picture window in Mr. and Mrs. Barber's front of their home. And, and, and as I'm thinking about all this, I'm thinking I'm a little confused as to why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling because Mr. Barber, he was quiet and he was kind. and But quite honestly, in all the 18 years that I lived on that street with him as my neighbor, I don't remember ever having one single conversation with the man. I mean, he would always wave a hello from across the road and Maybe as he pulled out of his driveway in the car to head off to where he was headed for the day or for the moment, he was always friendly. But I don't ever remember him rolling down his window and stopping, how you boys doing today? What's going on? You know, I, I don't ever remember having a conversation with him. I have to admit that as I sat there amongst all those strangers, I was a little confused about why I felt so compelled to be there. Uh, uh, honestly, I mean, I hadn't seen the man in 38 years. I've, I've been gone for 38 years. 18 years old, a few months out of high school, grabbed my stuff, moved, uh, uh, moved away, uh, married my wife six months later. Uh, we, we started our family. I'd come home every once in a while, visit my, my folks. I might run across the street and say hello to the Ferguson family or say hello to the McQuarries because we we were close. We were tight-knit, but the barber just kind of kept to themselves. It wasn't that they were rude. They weren't rude. They were nice people. They were friendly people, but they just, they were not connected to the rest of us the way that we were. And so here I am sitting here when I heard about his passing. Somebody called the church here and left me a message. Another neighbor, I, I knew immediately, I felt immediately a sincere obligation to go and be a part of this funeral. And, and I'm sitting here asking myself as, as I'm amongst all these people, why am I here? Why do I feel like I need to be here? 
I was realizing how little I knew about the man. I had no idea that he served in World War II as a staff sergeant. I didn't even know what the man did for a living. It made sense when I found out that he was a conductor on on a railroad because he always walked around. He always had one of them them old uh, 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 railroad hats on. He would wear that, and he'd always wear his, his uh, almost like a uniform, a, not a total jumpsuit, but it was a shirt and pants that, that was the same color. You know what I'm talking about, something that you might see a mechanic wear or something like that, but it was always clean and pressed, and he always looked sharp, and he was always clean, and he was always proper, and they always kept his car nice, and his yard was nice, and his house was nice, and everything was in its place, but I really didn't know much about the man's personal life. He retired. He was retired back then when... I still lived at home, and I looked at him as being ancient. Now I look at him as, you know, he was probably about 60 years old. That makes me ancient because I'm getting real close to being 60 years old. But, you know, you look at things differently. Their view, their, their outlook on things is different than my outlook. They, these kids all probably look at me as like, that, that old ball-headed man up there, you know, that yeah, my ball-headed grandpa, my... my <laughs> That old man's up there preaching to us, you know. Uh, he could keel over any day, you know. And, and somebody else will be our pastor after after uh, after he's dead and gone in the next day or two, you know. Uh, uh, they have a different viewpoint than what than what I have, or maybe what you have. And I saw Mr. Barber's being this old old man, not realizing all the life that he had lived. So I kept sitting there and asking myself why I felt so moved to be there. And then it, it came to me. It was almost like an epiphany. Just boom, there it was. The light switch went on, and I understood why I felt like I needed to be there. It was the sense of quiet calm that, he brought to my life that made me feel safe and secure when he was around. That's as close as I can boil it down to you. He wasn't loud. He wasn't obnoxious. He, he wasn't the bull of the woods, so to speak. But there was a quiet calmness about him. There was something about him that I knew should we ever have any kind of serious trouble that I could depend upon him, that tomorrow he was going to be there, and the next day he was still going to be there, and next week he was going to be there. As a matter of fact, he was there for as long as I needed him to be there. I left long before he ever did. It was his faithful ways, his faithfulness in his routines, his faithfulness in his actions that gave me a sense of belonging and feeling like I did indeed matter. He didn't have to tell me I mattered. He simply lived in a way that made me feel like I did. It took sitting at the funeral of a man that I hadn't seen for almost four decades for me to grasp the concept of how much I was influenced as a child by this man that was always there and yet never in the limelight. You see, I, 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 I could tell you a lot about 
big Jim Ferguson. I could tell you a lot about Don McQuarrie. I could even tell you things about Mr. Napier and others in the, in the neighborhood, but I couldn't tell you that. Yet there was an influence on my life that was profound almost four decades later that hit me like a ton of bricks, and I just knew I needed to be where he was at so I could honor him one last time for what I had come to realize he had done for me. I immediately felt the gravity of the lesson that I was learning, and I felt that I needed to tell our children here. So I'm not, I'm preaching to the adults, but I want the kids, I want the children to hear me today. I want you to understand that I realize what role you play in this church. And I realize the importance of who you are. You're not just somebody to be brushed off. Your worship matters. Amen. Your praise matters when you get up in the church children's choir begins to sing. It matters. It may not sound the same as the adult choir, but I'm telling you, every single child that walks through our doors matters. It matters because they're going to spend eternity somewhere. Amen. It matters because they're not always going to be little children. One day they'll be my age should the Lord tarry, and I want them to turn around and say, I was influenced by those people that sat on those pews. I was influenced by that Sunday school teacher. I was influenced in a great and a mighty way by the preaching that came across the pulpit. Those people loved me and they gave me a sense of security and a sense of wellness. So I would say to you this morning, I love you. I love you. You're a little bit older, but I love you too. <laughs> TJ, come here for just a second. <laughs> we got, we were out riding around a couple of weeks ago, and we stopped for the first time. It was the second time we'd ever eaten at this restaurant. The very first time that we ate there was when this young man was born. How old are you now? Good grief, 17 years old. I think he was the first child to be born after we became pastors. We were, we're coming up on 18 years. And I remember going up to the hospital that doesn't even stand there, and you were born, you were just a little, cute little thing. He's grown into quite the handsome young man, hadn't he? And we went back to a restaurant that we ate with after we celebrated your birth. We left your mom with you, but we took your grandma and your grandpa. We went across the street to Mariachi's. We didn't do any dancing. We didn't do the cucaracha or nothing like that. But we had a we had a we had a burrito and some tacos and some other Mexican food in your honor. You can be seated. You know what? It makes me feel good to see that 17 years later, he's sitting right there on the front row. I watched him with his hands raised a while ago. Somebody's been an influence. Somebody's taught him the way. Amen. It doesn't take just a pastor. It takes 
takes an entire church to teach our children what they need to do in order to be safe. And I'm glad that our church has an influence for, uh, for our children today. Amen. I'm glad that they have good influences in their life. Mark chapter 10 starts out, Jesus is being followed around by the masses. He's teaching the crowd. And the question and answer session is getting pretty heavy because, because he's there and the Pharisees are, are saying, okay, what about this whole divorce? What do you think about divorce? And so the conversation, the question and answer session goes to the heavy subject of divorce. When can we divorce? How can we divorce? Jesus began to explain this stuff to them. He answers their questions. And then when the Pharisees are done, his disciples begin questioning all over again. And it's in the midst of all this drama. I don't really think Jesus was, was there to, my opinion, probably, probably to answer those questions. The Pharisees were there trying to trip him up, trying to trap him. His disciples were there. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they were just trying to justify what they wanted to do instead of what they should have been doing. And Jesus answers their questions. And in the midst of all of that drama and all that stuff that's going on, the, the Bible says, and they brought young children to him. Verse 13 of Mark chapter 10. They brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And he said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, he put his hands on them, and blessed him. Let me set the scene here for you. The crowd has followed Jesus. He sat down, the Bible says, as he was wont to do or as his custom was. And he begins to teach them when all of a sudden the Pharisees come up and they try to, they try to throw him off track. They try to, they try to derail the, the, the move of the spirit that Jesus wants the congregation, the crowd to have. He's being badgered by them. He's being questioned by his friends. And then people are saying, in the midst of all of that, they're saying, I want you to meet little Johnny. This is my son, little Johnny. I want you to meet him. Do you mind if we set him on your lap? It's like, uh, you know, they just want their children to be close to him. So there's a lot of chaos going on. We can relate to that sometimes, can't we? Sometimes there's a little bit of chaos going on. We're trying to get through another church service. We're trying to, to try to follow our protocol, but there's, there's, there's some chaos that, that's brewing. There's some things that are, that are going on that, are, that, okay, we need to sometimes deal with that. So we, we don't want chaos in the church, but there's a way that we teach them. The disciples saw what was going on. Hey, listen, we're talking about serious matters here. We're talking about divorce and, 
And Jesus is like, you know what? You kind of led it that direction. I was talking about something else. You kind of led it that direction. And they're there. We want our answers. We want to see if we can trip Jesus up. We want to see if we can throw him off track. We want to see if we can derail this whole thing. We want our answers here today. And you are having these children come up. You're letting them come up. And they're, they're, they're a distraction. They're causing problems in our midst. no time for you to bring your children. Can't you see we're talking serious stuff here? But Jesus takes this opportunity to teach us all the value of the youngest amongst us. When he brings the hammer down, not upon the children, he doesn't say, now you guys listen, listen, they're the adults, they're they're, they're trying, we got to have some order, we got to have some decorum here. He doesn't do any of that. He rebukes the rebukers, and he tells them, wait just a second. Don't you keep them from coming up to me. He looks at them and says, you're the ones that need to be rebuked. You're here to play 20 questions, and they just want to be near me. Think about that for a second. How many times, how many times we as adults, we come and we walk through the door with all of our problems and all of our baggage and everything that, that we're facing and everything that we've that we faced in the past, past and uh -oh, we're dragging all this stuff up and we're facing more of it and everything that's going on in our lives and we write our, our laundry list of things that, that we need God to do and all the questions we have. Well, God, what are we going to do about this and how are you going to handle that and how are we going to get out of this mess and how do you expect me to serve you? And we bring our laundry list to God and God is just saying, you know what? If you really want me to touch you, you're going to have to become like one of these little children because they're not worried about all the mess. They're not worried worried about all the baggage. They're not worried about all the other things that life throws their way. They've just come to be near me. They just want to touch me. And if we can get the same mindset as a child when we come into the house of God, I believe that God can answer our questions, but he'll only answer them when we decide that we just want to be near him. You're here to debate. They just want to be touched and blessed. You want them to be like you. Need to grow up a little bit. Jesus says, you could stand to be a little bit more like them, actually. I've been watching our kids for a while now, and yeah, yeah, there's times... They got to be corrected. Got to be corrected. They've got to be taught. They've got, but I have also watched tears roll down their eyes. I was standing here earlier today as, during worship service, and I was watching them as they sang. I was watching them as they lifted their hands. I was watching them as they clapped their hands. I was watching them as they worshiped. And you know what? I looked around, and I saw some adults that could have taken a lesson from some of our children. Do they do everything right? No, they're not clapping on beat. No, they're not raising their hands at the right time sometimes. But there's something inside of them that I believe we can learn a lesson from our little ones, that it doesn't matter what's going on 
life. It don't matter if my worship is pretty. It don't matter if I'm doing everything right. I'm just here because I want to feel Jesus Christ. I'm just here because I need to touch from him. I'm just here because I want to be close to him. The music would come today. Here's what I know. Jesus will never turn away a child who longs to be near him. Because in the middle of it all, he shuts down everything. He says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. God help us if we ever make a child feel like they, they don't belong here. God help us if we ever make a child feel like they've got more friends somewhere besides the church. This ought to be the place where every child that walks through our door can feel loved and can feel wanted and can feel important and can feel like they matter and they can find most of all that when they come into the house of God, they can find adults that are leading them not away from Christ, not, 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 not telling them all the things they, they cannot do, but saying, honey, that's beautiful the way that you're worshiping. I'm proud of you that you love Jesus. You keep going down to that altar. You don't understand exactly what you're doing just yet, but you got the motions right. You're doing things the right way. I believe that this ought to be a place where every child can walk through our doors and feel encouraged and loved and cared for. Would you stand with me this morning? Understand today that you are one of his children. And I know in our adult way of thinking, we, we try to figure it all out. I know I do. God, I brought this to you before. Or God, maybe this is something new. or so, so I've tried to work this out on my own. And, and I'm here to, to try to seek Seek God's counsel. I want to. I want to argue, God. You know, if this is the way it is, then then why this? And I, I've got all these things going in my mind. But Jesus simply is extending a hand, saying, "Don't worry about it. Don't worry about your issues. Don't worry about your problems. Don't worry about your past. Don't worry about your future. Right now, the only thing that should be on your mind is I just want to be near Him." I just want him to touch me. I just want him to bless me. Tomorrow, your, your crisis is probably still going to be there. You know, oftentimes we think the answer is getting Jesus into the boat and saying, okay, now, Jesus, calm the storms. Calm my storm. God, take away the wind and the lightning and the rain. God, I pray that you would, my, 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 my vessel is being battered and I'm about ready to sink. And Jesus sometimes will do that. Sometimes he will say, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves will cease. But sometimes he doesn't calm the storm. Sometimes he's looking to calm the one in the storm.
we were at kids camp this past summer. A storm blew in. We had to rush everybody very quickly into, into the safest building that we had there. Probably had 450 people in that building all jammed in there. And my wife and I just began to walk around. There was a lot of kids in there that were scared. Saw them crying, some of them wanting to be home, and we couldn't, of course, let them leave. I mean, we were doing the and So we just went around, and we began to talk to different ones. Hey, it's going to be all right. My wife, my wife told a bunch of them, she said, guys, I've been coming here since I was a kid. There is a storm every single year on the campgrounds. Like, this is no big deal. This happens all the time. It happens every year, and she's right. Seems like there's at least one storm that blows through every single year. Then I saw other kids, some of our kids. You guys okay? Easton looks over at me and goes, I'm just hungry. <laughs> the storm blew past. All the fears were unwarranted really everybody was fine picked up a few blown over trash cans no harm done to anyone it's a reminder to me that we have someone that can calm us in the midst of the storm he can if he chooses remove the storm from our life but if the storm does not get removed, he can calm the one that's in the storm. I always remember that story of the ship that was being battered, furniture sliding across rooms, people running this way and that, all frantic. Underneath the stairwell, there sat a little girl playing with her doll. Somebody said, honey, Aren't you scared? She said, no, I'm not scared. So everybody else is, is frantic. How come you can be at such peace? She said, because my father is the captain, and he won't let anything bad happen to me. We have a heavenly father today. If you'll just put your faith and your confidence in him, Come on, we can take a lesson from the little ones today. Just a simple faith. Don't get so caught up and confused in all of the things that are going on in your life that you just can't simply come before him today. And that's what I want you to do. I want a simple altar call today. I'm not begging you to... Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.